the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. It's Friday. That means we finished another week here on the program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, and you're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life, a program, as you know by now, dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions. Whatever's on your heart or your mind, we'll do the best that we can to answer any of those questions. All you have to do is call by dialing 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local area, you can call us toll-free at 877 877- 630-KSLR 630-5757 You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app and send your questions that way. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. You have to hit one button it says call now and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. One more time, 340-9585. Well, we're excited here at Calvary Chapel because tomorrow is Joy of Jesus. And one more time, I'd love to extend an invitation for you to come and just see what the Lord is doing. It's Travis Park in downtown San Antonio tomorrow at 11 o'clock until 3 o'clock in the afternoon there will literally be thousands of people through the park that day and you're going to see God doing what he does best and it's loving those sometimes who are difficult to love those who won't love him back but reaching out with compassion and mercy you know uh, my Bible study this Sunday in Luke chapter 7 starts out with the widow of Nain and Jesus you know after all these miracles that he's done of healing um, he's he and his crowd are leaving one place and they encounter a woman uh, from Nain whose um, son has died she's a, an elderly widow her son a, a young but grown man and now she's all alone in a really cruel world and in all of the tears and the procession he's being carried out in an open um, coffin and Jesus looks at her and has compassion on her his heart is broken literally it's from the bowels his pain was her pain being shared and of course you all know the story he told the young man to get up and he did and a great miracle was done well we're out at the park tomorrow God is going to have compassion on people in some cases people that can't help themselves in some cases people that won't help themselves in some cases people who think they've got it all together businessmen or tourists it's a very busy part of town and people stop by out of curiosity people in the surrounding hotels and they think they're okay, Jesus is going to have compassion on them as well. And here's what I can tell you is going to happen tomorrow. People that need food are going to eat. People that need clothing are going to get clothing in an abundance, unbelievable quantities of clothing we've received this year. 
people who haven't had a haircut since Joy of Jesus last year are going to get their hair cut. By the way, we still could use some help if anybody out there is a hair professional and would like to help us and like to be used by the Lord for His glory tomorrow. Some people who are really sick are going to go visit our doctor. Doctors, plural, and our staff, our nurses, kids who are homeless are going to visit our pediatrician. And all because Jesus has compassion on them. We get the privilege of doing this once a year in San Antonio. Now, we do it some other places um, throughout the year in some much smaller form. But this is our home. And Jesus is going to be at the park tomorrow. We'd love for you to be there. If you can't be there, we understand. But we'd sure love to know that people are praying. People are going to get saved tomorrow. Some who are homeless are going to win bicycles. We have close to 50 bicycles that have been given to the church for joy of Jesus. There's more stuff going on than you can imagine and all because Jesus has compassion. There's nothing this church gets from joy of Jesus other than we get the satisfaction of knowing that we got to serve shoulder to shoulder with Jesus. So one more time, 11 o'clock tomorrow, downtown San Antonio from 11 to 3, joy of Jesus. There'll be some entertainment. Uh, Jocelyn Enriquez will be giving uh, a, a concert. Um, Jocelyn is our Jocelyn Makasadia. She is a regular on our worship team. Her husband is our a pastor here on staff and heads the worship ministry. Um, lots of kids. Secure environment for your kids, by the way. What a great opportunity to come and leave your kids in a confined area with plenty of security playing games and doing things. They'll have a blast for Games, by the way, they'll learn about Jesus. Well, you're out serving Jesus as an adult. Great, great opportunity. So it's tomorrow at 11 o'clock in the morning in downtown San Antonio, Travis Park. I know I've said that a whole bunch of times this week, but we are really and truly excited. We hope to see you there. If you are a radio listener, just ask anybody in a bright gold t-shirt. Uh, Pastor Ron is around. They'll they'll find me. I'd love to meet you. I like to put faces to the names every year. I've had the opportunity of meeting some people and say, well, I'm so-and-so who calls. Or uh, It's always thrilling to me, and I'm so grateful that, that you take the time to listen. So all of that going on here. We have a Bible study tonight as well in Acts chapter 26 at 7 o'clock. Then we're going to be getting ready. People will be sticking around a little bit after church to load up trailers and trucks and um, all kinds of stuff to get all the equipment that we're taking down to the park tomorrow morning. So pray for us. We'd love it. I hope that is encouraging to you as, as, as it is to us. Let me go to some questions. Here is an anonymous questions, uh, an anonymous whose question is this. It said, you said last week that Mormons were not Christians, but I think they are because they believe in Jesus. So it's not really a question. It's more of a statement. Uh, anonymous, what's really important to understand is that you have to have the right Jesus to be saved. You can't just throw out the name Jesus and you've got a completely different Jesus. And the Mormon Jesus isn't our Jesus, not Jesus of Nazareth, not Jesus, the Son of God, who's God the Son. The Mormon Jesus is a spirit brother of Lucifer, the good brother. The Jesus, who they say died for their sins, isn't capable of forgiving sins because their Jesus isn't God. He is a created being. So anonymous, it's really important that we understand that. It has to be the Jesus of the Bible. The same thing is true, by the way, with Jehovah's Witnesses. Their Jesus is Michael the Archangel, and not Jesus, the Son of God, who is God the Son. Our Jesus is the one who said, let there be light, and there was light. So here's what we need to do. We need to understand that Mormons have the wrong Jesus, and because we love them, we need to introduce him to the real Jesus because he's the one who saves. It's not religion. It's not being good. It's not doing good things. It's just Jesus alone. 
Lord, who can be saved then? The disciples asked Jesus, and Jesus' response is with, man, it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. If Jesus isn't God, then he is not able to save. So Anonymous, pray for your friends, I assume friends or family member, but just the word Jesus doesn't save anybody. It's the man Jesus that saves. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Let's finish the week with some calls and some good questions uh, today. Here's a question from Randy. He wants to know, Randy, this is a question I've never had before. Were Adam and Eve filled with the Holy Spirit when they were created, and did they lose it when they sinned? If they did, why can't we lose the Holy Spirit when we sin? Randy, that's interesting as it relates to Adam and Eve. They, they weren't created and filled with the Holy Spirit because they were created perfectly. They were created in the image of God. They were created in perfection. God looked at them and said, this is very good. And because they were without sin, at this point not knowing the difference between good and evil, all they knew was God, all they knew was perfect. They weren't filled with the Holy Spirit because they were perfect. Now, um, they weren't filled with the Holy Spirit ever, because even though they lived for a very, very long time, um, the, the Holy Spirit had been given like he's given to you and to me as New Testament believers. So uh, they weren't filled with the Holy Spirit when they are created. They didn't lose the Holy Spirit when they sinned. Their sin, by the way, Randy, was covered just like yours and mine by the shedding of blood. Remember, they were trying to cover their nakedness with fig leaves, and, and the next time we see them after God confronting them, they have animal fur on the very first death in a perfect world at the hands of Adam. Can you imagine how horrifying that must have been? Now, the, as to the question why we can't lose the Holy Spirit is because Jesus said he will never be taken from us. If we're truly saved, the Spirit lives in us as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance in heaven. And since God is the one who's guaranteeing that inheritance to Randy, then there's nothing at all that we can do to lose it. I love that kind of security. So, Randy, I hope that helps. Let's go to Art calling from San Antonio on line one. Art, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Good afternoon, Pastor Ron. Um, Hi, Art. I have a question. <laughs> I have a question and then a prayer request, please. Um, the okay. question about people. I visited your church years back. And there was a song that was called uh, Deeper, Deeper. And is there any way that I can get a copy or tell me who sings it? Because I can't find it on, on, I can't find it nowhere. And uh, it was such a beautiful song that I used to pray to. And, and um, first of all, can you tell me who sings it? And, and how can I get a copy of it? Uh, Art, I, I won't be able to help you, but my worship pastor will be able to. I'll make this request. You said the, the song is called Deeper and Deeper? Yeah, Deeper and Deeper. Uh -huh. And it was sang it there at your church. It was years back, so maybe yeah. almost back when I visited okay. the church. And, and well, here's what I'll... Okay, All right, before, before you go to the second thing, what I'll do is I will talk to him um, this weekend and on Monday's program. My producer's making a note of it right now. Uh, I'll try to get that information out to you at the top of the program so you can either call back or we will, uh, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just share it at the, at the beginning of the program and we'll get uh, that information to you. What's the second thing? This obviously Monday. Um, the second question, or the second request, is, is um, um, I, I was in the ministry way back when, and and recently, about two years, two, two about almost three years back, I started getting sick. Everything started failing on me. I lost, a, I lost a, a foot. Um, my kidneys gave out. My eyesight gave out. I'm blind. Um, everything's getting down on me, and and I lost. I mean, I'm not. I'm not saying I lost my faith. Because I know there's a God, but there's always doubt there, Pastor. There's always doubt that maybe, you know, that I'm that I'm. How can I? I don't know how to put this without without. Um, there's a lot of doubt. There's a lot of doubt now. 
and I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm, I'm not at the end of my life, but I'm pretty close to it. You know, um, I'm up in age now, and, and I understand, you know, everybody has to die someday. But uh, uh, there was a point when I was real strong in the Lord. I, mean, I, I, I used to, you know, go and, and, and witness to people, people, and now I'm not able to do that. I can't. I hardly yeah. believe it myself, you know. And, and and I just need prayer, prayer that that He makes me stronger. You know, I can't I can't read the Bible no more, so I went and bought the, the audio. Mm-hmm. And and I can't get myself to. I used to love to read the Word. I used to love to sit there yeah. and read and read. And now, and now it's kind of like hard for me to even sit there and listen to it. You know, I don't know if it's anger. I don't know if it's if it's why me. You know, you know, I don't want to feel pity on me. You know, I, I just I, I want. I want to get back to where I used to be. Yeah. Let me help you, Art, and, and I'm going to ask you to listen on the on the radio. Um, I don't know how long this is going to take, but I really want to encourage you. So uh, we will be praying for you constantly. Uh, I would appreciate if you'd continue to stay in touch so we know you're doing okay. Um, if, if you can have somebody in your life who can bring you back out, we'd love to pray, lay hands on you and pray. Uh, but, but we'll do those things. But let me try to help you. Um, um, before, so listen on the radio, and uh, I'll I'll do the best that I can. Okay. Um, oh, thank you, Art. God bless these kind of things. And and you know, I opened the program by talking about my Luke seven said Jesus had compassion on them, and Jesus has compassion on people like Art. You know, Art. One of the things I've learned, and I think I think I have strong faith. Uh, I've not experienced the doubts you have, and I've gone through some of the things that you're going through. Uh, in the last 18 months, I've had two heart surgeries, and and um, uh, I, I haven't driven a car. I'm, I'm legally blind. I'm not completely blind like you are, Art, but I'm one of those guys that that uh, loved to devour my Bible. I mean, I loved to devour it, and I have a great memory, and so I could I could retain everything that I was reading. Well, now Paula has to read to me, and and while that's wonderful, it's done wonderful things in our hearts, knitting us together. Um, the, the truth is that that even people with strong faith, even people with strong faith, um, aren't exempt from the trials and tribulations that other people go through in this world. What Jesus has promised you, Art, is that while you are in the middle of your struggles, He's there with you. And His compassion on you and for you is proof that He's there, proof that, that, that He's there to comfort you and strengthen you. Um, again, none of us are guaranteed of, of, of being made well uh, until we're with Jesus and that day's coming for people like you and me, Art. Um, but until that day comes, Jesus tells us to hold on to the end. Uh, I'm going to give you two suggestions. I'm going to ask you to, to have somebody help you go to our website, calvarysa.com, and listen to the Bible study that I did this past Wednesday night. Um, I'm, I'm confident the Lord will encourage you and speak to your heart. But, but also on Sunday, and Sunday I don't have enough time in the studies to develop the way I, would, I do on a Wednesday night, but on Sunday we're going to see one of the greatest men who's ever walked this earth have his own doubt. John the Baptist, he's in prison. Remember, he's the preacher of fire and brimstone and, and repent or, or, or you'll be excluded from the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is at hand. And uh, at the end, Jesus is out doing all these miraculous things. John is in prison through no fault of his own because he was standing with and for God. And he too, Art, has those moments of doubt. He calls two of his disciples to him and he says, go ask him, are you the one or should we wait for another? Now we know that John saw Jesus come into the water. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Those words came from John's own mouth. The disciples went and relayed John's message, are you the one or should we wait for another? And here's what Jesus said. Now, I'm going to really take some liberties paraphrasing this. All right, here's what Jesus said. You go tell John that even though I'm not doing the things the way he expected me to do them, even though he expected to be rescued from jail and to see the kingdom of God come to fruition, 
I'm doing what the Christ should do. And he quotes from Isaiah chapter 35, and Isaiah was one of John's favorite books. John quoted from it often. He knew it intimately. And Jesus said, you go tell John that the blind can see and that the dead are raised, the dumb can hear. You go tell John that's what I'm doing. Instantly John would have recognized it as Isaiah 35 and he would have been comforted. Why? Because he knew and loved God's word. I promise you, Art, God will honor you listening to the Word. If you have to stop it and meditate, you know, like times when you read your Bible before and something would just strike your heart and you'd stop and just consider it. Do the same thing as you play the Word on audio Bible. And let the Lord comfort you, but don't let your circumstances shake your faith. That leads to the important identification of the source of the doubt. Whenever the doubt comes, it's an enemy who is without mercy, without compassion, a devil who's relentless. He's trying to destroy you. And you can't let him. Hold firm. John wavered. He had doubt. But he held firm. And he was comforted in the same way Art, you will be comforted as well. Art, I'm going to be praying for you, and uh, um, I'd love the opportunity. If somebody can bring you over here, we'd love to do that. Um, Lord, I'm gonna, would you just pray with me for a minute for, for Art? Art, uh, Lord, would you lift Art by the power of your Spirit, comfort him, wrap your arms around him, and draw him nearer to you than ever. Oh, Lord, convince him of your love and your power. And in his condition, if there's nothing else that Art can do, Lord, he can talk to you. And he can be used by you as he prays for others. Help him get his focus off his circumstances and set his heart place of affection and his mind, the place of decision on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of glory. Bless him, Lord, we pray in your beautiful name. Amen. Art, I will get that for you on Monday, and um, and we'll keep praying for you. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is an anonymous question. It says, I'm called to be a worship leader, but the church I began going to won't give me a chance. I'm pretty sure God called me to this church, but if I can't lead worship, why? Well, anonymous maybe, just maybe, the reason he called to that church is to teach you to be a servant before you can lead others. I've got a whole church full of people with wonderful, wonderful gifts. But God's already called a worship leader here. And until he's ready to go, he's going to be leading worship. If God's called to his church, serve this body, use other gifts. Offer to do worship for children's church. Offer to, 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 to be an assistant in children's church. Ask the leaders of the church what ministry is available in terms of maintenance or cleaning. Whatever you can do. But don't just think that because that's what you do. I'm a worship leader. Don't just think that you've got to do that first. I wouldn't let anybody um, lead worship. I wouldn't put anybody in a position, a public position of ministry, until I learned who they were. So invest in your church. Show your leaders that you're trustworthy, that you're faithful, that you don't need a platform or a stage. I tell our guys here at church, Anonymous, that for some, people simply want to be in front too much for God to allow them to do so. I've had some unbelievably gifted worship leaders 
in this church. But they could never be on stage because they wanted the attention. They just wanted a place of prominence. God says we have to be humble. We have to be servants. And when you find yourself no longer desiring to be put in a position up front, well, that's when God's able to elevate you to that very place. So this might be a time that he's called you to test your faithfulness, to test your heart. What are your motives? Do you want to show people how gifted you are, or do you really just want to help lead people like me who have no gifting at all in that area into the throne of God as we come together as a church family? Worship leaders cause a lot of problems in church because they're ego-driven. Instead, what we need to be do is driven by God to do anything and everything. And notice before we started this program, we had a family come in and they're cleaning the church and vacuuming. Nobody ever sees them do that, but Jesus sees them and smiles. So serve, 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 and let Jesus take your hand and lead you to a stage one day. We've got 30 minutes left in the week, 340-9585. That's 340-9585. You're listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. We'll be back in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of our friday program you know what i was thinking as you listen to that sort of intro in the second half is i would give anything to have that voice that's a the announcer is a man named john white i've known john for a long time he used to go to this church. He's a great, great guy. Loves Jesus. But what a voice. Man, I'd love to have that voice. 340-9585. Art, just in case, I'm not sure, but the, the, the song that you are asking about might be Jesus, Lord of Heaven. It's written by Phil Wickham, and it starts as, um, your love is deeper, your love is high. And I'm not going to sing, or I'll have everybody turn off their radios all over San Antonio. But that might be it, but I'm going to do some checking and have my worship uh, pastor kind of fill me in as well. Paula, who sings on the worship team as well, um, uh, she might know something as well with with regard to that song. But Art will get you that song um, on Monday for sure. Here is a question from Ted. Should a formal Bible education be required before someone becomes a pastor? Um, the answer, Ted, is no. Uh, whenever we, you frame a question like that, should or is it mandatory, the answer is no. Uh, a formal Bible education doesn't have to be at a school. Um, I, I was a pastor before I... Um, I was called to be a pastor before I had a, a, a Bible college education. But the truth, Ted, is that uh, I actually learned more about the Bible before I went to Bible college than when I was in there. Uh, there, there isn't anything that a formal Bible education or a seminary education does for you to prepare for a pastor. If you're called by God, now, uh, again, I'm not anti-education, I'm not anti-seminaries, I'm not anti-Bible colleges or anything. But, um, you know, this is a relatively, in the history of the church, a relatively new uh, concept of how to become a pastor, go to college to become a pastor. Uh, a lot of people in those seminaries aren't called by God to be pastors. And that means a Bible education, formal or otherwise, really has very little value for them. So uh, what's required, what's absolutely necessary, is the calling of God. Ted, if you think that might be what God is calling you to do, one of the ways that you can find out is you need to, to be a, a man who devours the Bible. You've got to be curious. You've got to have a million questions. You've got to dig in and get the answers to those questions. And you don't need a Bible education to do that. And I think sometimes we look at education too passively. You know, we go sit, somebody tells us what the Bible says or what the Bible tells us to do. Uh, instead of just digging in for ourselves. 
Um, I think of, of young Timothy, the protege of Paul. He didn't have a formal Bible education. He was called as a child. The prophecies were made about him. Paul recognized that gifting. And then he just studied under Paul. So no, I don't think it has to be required at all. I, I think of, of uh, our, our, one of our men's retreat themes, just be with Jesus. Acts chapter 4 verse 13 says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. So Ted, that's what's required. Be with Jesus. Devour the word. You've got to have this insatiable appetite for God's word. And if you're called to be a pastor, take it seriously. It's the best job ever. At the same time, it comes with great accountability because the people that come to your church, well, Jesus really loves them. And what you've got to do is understand that, that you've got to love them with his heart. I had a friend, Ted, once in Bible college, as a matter of fact, who said he was called to be a pastor, and one day he said to me, he said, Ron, do you have to like people to be a pastor? And I said, no, you don't have to like them, but you got to love them. And he never became a pastor. That was too much for him. So um, formal Bible education should not, does not, meet the, 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 the standard of being a requirement. Uh, the call of God does. The fullness of God's Spirit does. So, Ted, I hope that helps. Here is a question from April. It's a good question for Joy of Jesus tomorrow. April April says, How can we explain to people from other religions that Christianity alone is true? Uh, April, we can demonstrate that. We don't have to, to just explain and hope they get it. We can demonstrate it, and if they're willing to look at the evidence, then they'll come to the same conclusion. Christianity alone is true. Because Jesus alone, of all the religious leaders who've ever been born, all the men who claim to be God or to speak for God throughout the history of the world, whether it's, had a Mormon question earlier, whether it's Joseph Smith, Jehovah's Witness, uh, Charles Tace Russell, uh, whether it's the, the, the founder of uh, any church, any religion, Buddhist, Muslim, or otherwise, all you have to do is say, Jesus died. The evidence is overwhelming. He lived, he died, and equally overwhelming is the evidence for the fact that he didn't stay dead. That's why Christianity alone is true. You see, anybody who claims to be able to forgive sins, anybody who claims to speak for God or even to be God, they got to put their money where their mouth is, April. And only Jesus did that, Allah. He sent his prophet Muhammad. Muhammad died and stayed dead. Buddha. Hare Krishna. If you're going to put your eternity at stake in the hands of somebody who claims to be God, it's incumbent upon you or, or the people that you're talking to to be sure that that one really is God, and only Jesus proved beyond any doubt that he was. You know, April, it always frustrates me because in this world that we live in, um, only religion seems to be subjective. You know, I think even people who don't understand truth and don't want to talk about truth, I think they understand that truth is mutually exclusive by definition. And so when you hold on to something that you claim to be truth, you better be sure that it is. In our Bible study tonight, in Acts chapter 26, Paul says to Agrippa, you know the way that I've lived my life. All these Jews know the way that I've lived my life. I was a member of the strictest set of, the, of their religion, the Pharisee. They know that I persecuted the church of God. Paul was zealous. Paul was sincere. But years later now, in giving his testimony, he declares that I was sincerely wrong. So we're going to be truth seekers. Jesus challenged Pilate. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Pilate's response should have been, well, tell me what's true then. Instead, he said, what's truth? And he said it derisively.
So we explain to people that Jesus didn't stay dead. We can prove it. And if their hearts are open and willing to receive it, then they too can find the only way to the Father. So April, I hope that helps. Here is a question from Chuck. He says, Pastor Ron, what resource would you recommend for a new believer? Now, I'm not sure what you mean by that in terms of a resource, Chuck, but but, but here's the, the one resource that we've been given that, that is without limits is the Bible. So if you're a new believer, hold on to your Bible and never put it down. Take it with you everywhere you go. You know, I no longer do that, uh, Chuck, because I'm a because I'm visually impaired. I can't I can't read. And we just had a question a moment ago, and my producer was giving me some information on on a computer screen. He turned around. I couldn't see it. I just couldn't see it. Um, but as a new believer, I never went anywhere without my Bible. If I had five extra minutes, my Bible was open. If I had questions, I was digging through it, turning pages. And I, I really learned, Chuck, that I didn't need any new resources. That was the only resource that I needed. And by holding on to what the Word said, by beginning the process of learning it and understanding it, I realized that I had everything I needed to lead me to the person of Jesus Christ. So that's the resource. Now, there are study aids and things, but uh, as a new believer, don't get too far ahead of yourself. Get so familiar with the Bible that when resources start becoming available and resources become known to you, then you can take those resources and evaluate them by the Word of God. And one of the problems that Christians get into with, with resources, whether they're commentaries or, or any other kind of Bible helps, is that we start viewing the Bible through those resources. And what, what I would really hope and, and pray that you'll do, Chuck, is you'll get so familiar with the Bible that when you start looking at resources, you'll look at those resources through the filter of your Bible. That way you'll, give, uh, you'll, you, you'll be able to benefit from the gift of discernment. You'll be able to, to give direction to other people. But it's the Bible, the Bible, the Bible. We didn't ask this, and I wouldn't go so far as to say Jesus is a resource. But Chuck is a new believer. Um, as important, more important perhaps even than, than devouring your Bible is being with Jesus. Get in the habit, whatever you have to do to practice being with Jesus, get in the habit of taking him everywhere you go. When you go to work, take him with you. Talk to him out loud. Talk to him. When you go to a restaurant or, or, or go to a, a fast food place for lunch, um, sit down with him and, and talk to him. Ask him, Jesus, what do you want for lunch? Just dumb things like that. I know how naive that sounds, but that's exactly what I did. And people would see me talking to myself, and they'd come over and say, are you okay? I'd say, oh, I'm fine. I'm talking to Jesus. Now, they thought I was a nut, but that's okay. The point is that I really, really wanted to be with him. And that way I could follow him. So, Chuck, God bless you. It starts with the Bible and being with Jesus. Nancy wants to know, Pastor Ron, how much attention should we give to the Old Testament as opposed to the New Testament. Um, Nancy, let me give you just a, a kind of the model that we use here at Calvary Chapel. Uh, I have three Bible studies that I teach every week. Wednesday night is Old Testament. Friday night is New Testament. Sunday mornings are a different New Testament book. So uh, if this helps you with the formula, uh, we give two-thirds of our time and attention with open Bibles to the New Testament as opposed to the Old um, the Old Testament is really vital, though, to understand uh, how God has dealt with people in the past, to understand our position of privilege, to understand the, the role, the mission, if you will, that God has given us in these last days. The Old Testament really and truly gives us that direction and gives us the scope, the, sort of the, the breadth and depth of who God is. And when you understand that, you know, I, I view, Nancy, the Old Testament sort of as a, I'm old enough to remember those those connect the dots 
uh, connect the numbers, folks, and when you get done the coloring book, there'd be an outline, and then you could color it all in. Well, I, I, I look at the Old Testament as sort of the, the connect the dots, and the New Testament as the coloring it in. Um, so, so they're both vital. It is all the Word of God, 66 books, written by 40 different authors over 1,500 years. And you can't have one without the other. Jesus said the law and the prophets are all about him. The New Testament is all about him. We just have more detail. So I hope that helps. Thank you, Nancy. Um, anonymous caller comments, it would be awesome if Pastor Ron could read the Bible on tape for the blind. Anonymous, thanks for that. I, I It would be awesome. Um, I'd have to do it sitting in front of my big computer screen with great big letters, uh, and, and time would prevent that. Um, but thank you for that, and you know, who knows what, what the Lord is going to do. 340-9585, here is a question from Tony. Tony says, are Christians supposed to stand when the Bible is read in church? Um, interesting question, Tony. I've been to some churches where they fall into patterns of saying um, uh, when, when the, the passage is going to be read before the Bible study, um, the pastor will say, well, everybody please stand. And I guess that's to be a sign of reverence. I'm not much for outward symbols. Um, you know, um, I think sometimes that makes it difficult for people. Uh, I, I'm, I think my people are much better able to concentrate on the words that are being read when they're sitting down staring at their Bibles rather than when they're standing up to stand up and sit down. Again, I get it that it's a sign of respect, um, but I would rather leave it to the people in our church um, to show respect by listening. And then by doing what it says, I, I, I just don't think there's any value in corporate anything, really. So we stand up or we sit down or, you know, at the end of prayers, uh, a pastor will often say, and all who agreed say, uh, you know, those are individual choices that have to be made. So, no, we're not supposed to stand, but it's okay if you do. Um, every once in a while, we've got people in the church here who, when I am reading, and I always read the, the scripture before I start tonight, I will read the scripture, then I'll pray, and as I start reading the scripture, there's always a few people who stand, that's fine, no problem with it, but it doesn't show any greater respect than those who are sitting um, I think what we, we need to do is sort of get outside of our religious comfort zones and uh, uh, just do what we are called to do individually. In Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 5, uh, Tony, it says, uh, Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Now, that's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. And that's because after 70 years in captivity, 70 years without the Word of God, the people stood up not because they were told to, they stood up because they were moved by God's Spirit too. They were so excited that God's Word was being read publicly again. They were excited about the work that God was doing, reestablishing His presence among His people. So if it's a spontaneous, I'm moved by the Spirit to do it, great. But if anybody tells you you have to do it, I think it loses its value. Here's kind of a cantankerous question from Anonymous. You say there are no longer any prophets, but Ephesians says God gave prophets to the church, so you are wrong. Anonymous, please read Ephesians again. God gave the church apostles and prophets, two of the gifts, apostles and prophets, as the foundation of the church. It's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. Jesus himself the cornerstone and then the church is being built on a foundation already laid. Now, here's something else to consider. When Ephesians was written, it's a prison epistle. There were prophets. There was no Bible in the first century. They couldn't say, turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. 
um, Acts hadn't been written yet. It hadn't been circulated yet. And so God, because he's never without a witness, he's never ever going to leave his people without his voice, he raised up prophets and prophetesses. Uh, an example of a New Testament prophet are the writers of the New Testament. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and James, and Jude, and um, Paul, they, they were truly New Testament prophets. They they spoke forth the word of God. But we have other prophets. Agabus, Philip's four daughters were prophetesses. So there were prophets and prophetesses in the first century, but there was no word of God. And now, in these last days, because we have his word, the office of prophet is unnecessary. Now, anonymous, there's something else to consider. There is the gift of prophecy, but having the gift of prophecy does not make one a prophet. The office of prophet is closed, it's finished, it's done, and that means when somebody stands up and says, I'm speaking for God, or I'm a prophet, you know they're a false prophet. So instead of getting upset with me because I challenge something that you believe, check it out for yourself. Ephesians 4 is very clear. Ephesians 2 is very clear. And at that time there were prophets and prophetesses. But now we have his word. In the past, Hebrews 1, 1 says, God spoke to our forefathers at various times in many different ways, but through the prophets. But now in these last days, he's spoken to us in son. Literally, everything that he has to say, he said in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said to his disciples, I have more to tell you, more than you can now bear. But I'm not going to leave you as orphans, don't worry. And he sent us his word. Unfortunately, anonymous prophets and relying on them are sort of like reading the cliff notes to a book instead of actually reading the book. We view it as a shortcut to hearing the voice of God. There's no shortcut. Open your Bible and love it and read it. 340-9585. Here is a question from Wendy. Wendy says, I have a friend who's convinced God is speaking to her, but what she says God is telling her contradicts what the Bible already says. How can I approach her? Wendy, thank you for loving your friend. And this is why I've been harping today, especially not uh, about knowing the Word and, and loving it. If your friend really knew the Word, she would know if that um, something she thinks God is speaking to her about contradicts the Bible, that it's impossible for that to be God. You know, we can't trust what we think we hear. That's why John says in 1 John chapter 4, test the spirits. Brothers, test the spirits. Not every spirit is from God. There's a lot of spirits out there speaking to us, sometimes screaming at us. But God speaks to us softly, and he speaks to us in his word. And when he speaks to us sort of in a rhema word, as opposed to the written word, then we have to check what we think we've heard against the word of God, what's been written already, so that we can test the spirit, so that we can discern whether or not what's being said is from God. I've had people, I'll give you an example, Wendy, over the years, who've told me that God is telling them to divorce their husband or divorce their wife. And, and I'll say, well, God isn't telling you that. Well, how do you know what God's telling me? Well, because you don't have biblical grounds, and God wouldn't contradict himself. And it usually boils down to, well, God wants me to be happy. No, he wants you to be obedient. So please tell her that if she isn't interested in what the Bible says, then she's never going to hear from God, and she's in a dangerous place. So please, please, please keep loving her enough to tell her that it's impossible for God, who is perfect and consistent, to contradict himself. And so if God said to do this, and you think God's telling you don't do that, then you've got to decide who's right, you or the Bible. 
And I know as Christians, especially immature Christians, we sometimes get really protective of what we think God told us. No, I know what God said. Believe me, there's an enemy out there that wants to destroy you, and that's why God gave us his word. So I hope that helps pray for your friend. Last question for today. Leslie wants to know, why do good people and nice people need to be saved? I understand that bad people need to change, but I'm not a bad person. Well, Leslie, whether it's you or anybody else, here's the thing. The standard of heaven is perfection. Perfection. And not being not a bad person, double negative on purpose, doesn't mean you're a perfect person. Only Jesus was. And that's why we need to be saved. You see, we've got to understand that good is not in comparison to me. You're probably much better than I am, Leslie. But good is in comparison to Jesus. And if perfection is the standard that he set, then we've got to understand the only way that we can be perfect is if he gives us his perfection. And that's why 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness, or in this context, the perfection of God. Jesus gives us his perfect, perfect holiness. And that's why we get to heaven. So, Leslie, not being a bad person isn't the qualification. God doesn't grade on a curve. You have to be perfect, and only Jesus was, and he wants to give that to you been a good week. Thanks for tuning in. Remember, Joy of Jesus, tomorrow, 11 o'clock at Travis Park in downtown San Antonio. We'd love to meet you and see you there. If you can't be there, pray for us. Jesus is going to have compassion on a whole lot of people. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Have a wonderful week serving Jesus. Lord willing, I'll see you on Monday on AM 630 The Word. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The word to stand on for life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.